the first week at the job, I was learning Ruby and I did a tutorial in Ruby and I kind of downloaded, uh, did like a Ruby install and was like building a little toy app and making all these features. But I had installed that app in our products repo locally on my machine. And then I go and I was like, okay, Ryan, this is a bug I think you can fix. It was a little jQuery thing. And I was like, sweet, I can fix that. And I went and fixed this bug and I, I committed it with all these these Ruby files, like this entire application. I had NPM or Ruby installed this application inside of our application. I just remember the, the senior dev, the architect looked back at me and he's just like shook his head. He's like, are you kidding me? You're submitting this pull request right now? I'm like, yeah, look at all the work I did. And then I didn't even realize there was thousands of lines of code. So so this is my trope when, or this is my anecdote when I tell students like never get add dot, all right? Never get at all. Um, always look at your files that you're checking in to get. That pull request was immediately deleted. And uh, I think I lost a lot of responsibility almost immediately at that point. But uh, it was good that they, that they let me make these mistakes. Welcome to Developer's Journey, the podcast bringing you the making of stories of successful software developers to help you on your upcoming journey. My name is Tim Bourguignon, and on this episode 159, I receive Ryan Hamblin. Ryan is an ex-exercise science and outdoor recreation manager who became a software engineer. He now works for Lambda School in Salt Lake City or near Salt Lake City. As he puts it himself, he is obsessed with students, engulfed with product development, instructor, promoter of simplicity, and an engineering manager. Ryan, a warm welcome to DevJourney. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. It's good to be here. So Ryan, as you know, the show exists to help the listeners understand what your story looked like and imagine how to shape their own future. So as always, let's go back to your beginnings. Where would you place the start of your dev journey? Wow, that's a very good question. So for me, it was a little bit later in life. Um, like like you mentioned, thank you for the warm intro, by the way. Uh, like you mentioned, I uh, was an exercise science major in college, and that's what I graduated in with an emphasis in outdoor recreation management. So it's kind of a weird degree because we didn't have... Um, uh, like a full major, we had to have an emphasis in the exercise science department. Wait, what is that exactly? This this exercise science focus outdoors? Is it sports? And yeah, and so sports medicine, uh, kinesiology, um, sports psychology, uh, a lot of motor learning and development. Um, wow. So I was in yeah, I was in a lot of courses with pre-med students. It's a, it's a major that was used at my university to sort of be a little bit easier to. Uh, ease yourself into the medical field, if you will. Uh, but a lot of people take it and run with it. And so my core competency, my core classes were, were all with the, the pre-dental, pre-med, pre-nursing students. And then there was us kind of like hippie, long haired, like, uh, smell like campfire smoke, um, camping, outdoor recreation students who would come to class um, in with, with these, uh, you know, with these actual, <laughs> uh, students. So, so it was a major that I did, um, that, you know, I studied my passion. I really loved the outdoors growing up. Um, and it's weird because you're like, well, where, where on earth could a, an outdoorsman, fly fisherman, mountain biker, skier, river rat, uh, where, where in the world is there a place for somebody like that to, uh, to, to learn how to, 
write code and make a living out of that. So, um, but it was at, it was at the time that I was sort of graduating from that major. I was actually working with uh, people with disabilities, uh, and I would develop these little sports programs uh, for uh, Salt Lake County with uh, you know as an intern, and that's what I, that was my. My focus was recreational therapy, uh, sort of providing an opportunity for people who didn't have it um, and sort of educating people in, you know, how to get into sports, even though they literally have a physical limitation like uh, like like a, a wheelchair. Right. So um, we uh, we did these fun sports camps and, you know, worked uh, all summer and the summer was kind of coming to a close. Um, it's about seven years ago now, I think if I recall correctly. Um, and I was kind of looking around and looking at my career path ahead of me. And it was just a long, arduous journey of corp, or not, not even corporate, government ladder climbing. So uh, it was one of those things where I was like, I don't think that $7 an hour, uh, you know, the local area that was like minimum wage, right? That's going to be easy to sort of surpass that year over year and continuously like climb up. And and so, yeah, that's where coding, my coding journey began. I actually, one of my friends from high school uh, started a coding boot camp in the lo- local area. And, you know, it was a lot of hype on social media. I had a lot of friends who attended. I, I had a dear lifelong friend who was actually my roommate in college uh, for a little bit. Um, he went to the boot camp and he was, a, he was a teacher himself, a junior high school teacher. His name's Caleb Hicks. Uh, and so for those of you who followed Lambda School, no Lambda School at all, you know that Caleb had a big, uh, a big part in, in building this program here. Um, so Caleb and I were dear friends and I, you know, I saw that he learned how to code and I was like, well, if Caleb can do it, I might be able to do it. You know, it might be something that we could dive into. And it, it seemed kind of fun. It was kind of like, like I said, it was a lot of hype, a lot of energy. And I think I wrote my first line of code, um, probably a couple months ago, seven years ago. So like a year and a couple months or seven years and a couple months ago. Sorry. And just kind of poking around at things. And then I applied for the boot camp and, and got in. My, my wife, she's always the person who just sees the potential in people and like doesn't accept, doesn't accept status quo. She doesn't accept just like homeostasis. She always has to throw someone into chaos or make, you know, make someone better. And so that's what she did to me. She, we had been married for about a year and she's like, well, it doesn't seem like you're super happy with this uh, outdoor recreation thing. And maybe we should look at our future. And she, uh, she sent me a link and uh, we started to talk about it. And she's like, well, what if you did more school after school and kind of figured it out from there? So that's where it all began was the summer was about seven years ago. So, yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> That's a cool story. Did you consider something else than, than uh, going to software development at that time? So at that time, no. Um, I, I kind of just figured that like I was going to make it, that it was going to happen. And as the moment that I that I decided to pursue it, I had no clue what was in store for me, right? It was a professional industry. To me, it was like a foreign thing. And it was like, oh, cool, I can do this. Why not? You know, and so mm-hmm. uh, no, I didn't consider anything else at that time. It was just uh, either I go into um, further education with recreation man- management and go get a rec therapy certificate and start doing recreational therapy. Um, or I try and learn how to code in 12 weeks and you'll you'll be a developer, right? That's that's the, the kind of age old adage they uh, the, those early boot camps said. So 12 weeks and you'll be a developer. So I don't know. It was, it was just like, I just knew in 12 weeks I was going to be a developer. So. <laughs> did, did, did you have to, uh, to prove yourself before 
coming in into those 12 weeks do, do, do you have to search a bit more about, about software development um prove that you, you understood in what you were in for and, and stuff like that yeah so i i interviewed probably a dozen um random and a couple other close uh friends like random people and close friends who'd been through boot camps before or who were developers and i actually had a friend who was the cto of a company a tech startup that had just barely kind of kicked off called quizzer got to tour the office a little bit there and kind of see what they were doing it was like just a single tiny little room behind a optometrist office on this little main street in, in lehigh utah and uh It was like, it, there was like a big mural on the wall. The conference room table was a ping pong table. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like, I think I could, I could, I think I could work here on this couch. Like people just sit with their laptops. There's like, there's a, I don't know. It was like a big fridge full of snack. And, you know, it was just like a tiny little dev shop, right? A little, a little software business. And I was like, wow, like the, this world exists, you know, before, Before then, my office was literally uh, on the bow of my river raft or, you know, sitting, you know, right in the captain's chair of a, of a raft or whatever. So that's that's where I, you know, earned my keep. And, and so it was just it was just a whole new experience to me. And so that's that's kind of how I was like, I, I think I think this could work. I did a little bit of research, but I probably could have done a lot more research, to be honest. <laughs> okay. How does it feel um, entering into this this whole new world and, and discovering maybe every every sentence in your word and trying to figure out what is what and connect dots, et cetera? Yeah, that, that's actually a really, really good question. And that's something that I like, I, I reflect on a lot because when I, um, I knew what I was getting into when I, when I actually joined Quizzer, but I really didn't know anything at all. <laughs> um, like I begged my friend to just let me be an intern to go get, go get his, his agile team coffee. Right. Um, I didn't even know what agile meant. I didn't know what it meant to, to like come huddle and stand up, like have a stand up meeting. Like, what is this thing? I didn't know what product was. I didn't know any of this stuff. Right. So Quizzer was a shock for me. It was, it was really weird to go in and, and to be completely honest, I absolutely failed uh, my first 90 days as a developer. Like I said, my friend took a chance on me and gave me an opportunity, but I was, I was not ready <laughs> uh, to jump in at a, at a startup. I needed to have uh, a mentor, somebody like, you know, more structure in the company to sort of provide uh, that onboarding experience that that I, I I did miss out on. It was kind of learning just by being thrown into the deep end a little bit. I, I was fixing a little bit of bugs on their on their site. Um, but I became like the bug triage, the QA uh, tester and things like that. But again, before then, I didn't even know what QA meant. So I, I remember my first week, I tell this, I tell this anecdote to all my students that I teach. The first week at the job, I was learning Ruby and I did a tutorial in Ruby and I kind of downloaded, uh, did like a Ruby install and was like building a little toy app and making all these features. But I had installed that app in our products repo locally on my machine. And then I go and I was like, okay, Ryan, this is a bug I think you can fix. It was a little jQuery thing. And I was like, sweet, I can fix that. And I went and fixed this bug and I, I committed it with all these these Ruby <laughs> files, like this entire application. I had NPM or Ruby installed this application inside of our application. I just remember the the senior dev, the architect looked back at me and he's just like shook his head. He's like, are you kidding me? You're submitting this pull request right now? I'm like, yeah, look at all the work I did. And then I didn't even realize there was thousands of lines of code. So so this is my trope when, or this is my anecdote when I tell students like never get add dot, all right? Never get at all. Um, always look at your files that you're checking in to get. That pull request was immediately deleted. And uh, I think I lost a lot of responsibility almost immediately at that point. But uh, it was good that they that they let me make these mistakes. I had 90 days to sort of prove myself to see if I could kind of do it uh, without much, you know, autonomously and things like that. 
And unfortunately, at the end of the 90 days, my, my friend and I had to have a chat. And uh, he's like, hey, like we don't have the ability to support a super junior developer here at this really fast-paced, fast-moving startup. So um, I think you should go and find a new job and level up and come back. So luckily, it was the worst and best day of my professional career because at the time I thought everything was uh, was falling apart. Like this was not going to work. Um, I had just wasted, you know, the better part of five months, you know, learning this stuff and and kind of breaking in, quote unquote. But it turned out being so amazing because I just kind of buckled down. I actually spent just three weeks unemployed, like looking for jobs, but I started an Amazon side business at the time. And I was like buying stuff for manufacturers and selling it on Amazon, f- uh, fulfilled by Amazon. So it was like, I wasn't going to give up. I was still going to make money. And that's been like a big, huge moment for me to look back on because I've kind of found out and understood that like making money and being employed are kind of two different things, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can make money while being employed, but you can do uh, now that, you know, and it's easier to say the more senior you become. But now that I have all these skills, like I could make money, I'm completely confident in the fact that I could um, support my family continuously, which is the end goal, right? I, I wanted to find something that I enjoyed. Maybe it's not my first passion. Maybe it's not my third or fourth passion, right? But something that pays well enough that I can afford to do the things that I truly am passionate about. And then I can bring my full self into into work when I'm when I'm healthy, you know, mentally, emotionally and things like that. So that's what that's what tech means to me now. Um, at the time, it, again, it was devastating for a friend to say, you're not good enough to work at my startup anymore, broken too many things. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the rocky start that I had, but a very, very fortunate and lucky one. And I consider myself again, fortunate to, to have had the opportunity to, to break things early on. And kudos to your friend for the, for the candid feedback, uh, after 90 days, that's, that's also something that's quite hard when we have a friendship and, uh, employment at the same time to still be yes. uh, direct enough to give some hard feedback when, when it's needed. Yep. Yeah, no, I, um, we're still very close, so it's really nice. So, so how did you rebound after that? So you so you said you mentioned doing uh, doing the side business, but were you were you uh, focused on the side business for a while and and searching at the same time, or how, how did that go, and and how did it go into the next employment? So it was it was fifty fifty, kind of split my time. I would I kind of treated the job search slash side hustle as uh, a full time job, right? So like eight nine hours a day. Uh, in the mornings I would work on one, in the afternoons I'd work on the other. So kind of alternating. My wife was working full time. We just had, you know, we were living in a little basement apartment in the middle of Salt Lake City. And, and yeah, I would like, it was nice because like I would kind of split my days up and then I would just go for a long mountain bike ride um, and kind of just figure things out. So again, it, w- it was one of those things where like she just exuded her confidence in me, my, my spouse. And, 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 and I just knew that no matter what I was going to make it happen. So I think I had probably five or six interviews before I got my next gig. I had experience on my resume at that point and, you know, a little education from bootcamp. And, um, I ended up working at, a um, so in, in the States, we have these multi-level marketing companies. You've probably heard of maybe like new skin or I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's big ones like, uh, the, the essential oils companies like the doTERRA, um, um, there's like clothing companies. Anyway, Utahns love that because it's a big 
social network that you go tap into and get them to buy your thing. And then everyone tells each other and you make money just on people buying the thing. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a weird way to like market a company, but they're huge in Utah. There's one here called life vantage and they took a chance on me to, to come onto their marketing team and sort of maintain and continuously develop their WordPress marketing site. There was a lot of internationalization involved there as well. Um, and I worked underneath an experienced uh, designer web developer who was a photographer first, right? So another, his passion kind of came into the tech world. And it's like, that's just who I was kind of surrounded by in those early days, right? Not all these CS majors, but like people who broke in through uh, other avenues. So um, he and I would would show up, I was contracted with the company and I was, I would come in house and, you know, we'd show up and we would just like mentor me. He's like, okay, hey, for the next hour, I need you to read this article and then tell me what you think about our site based on this smashing magazine article or whatever. And this like UX direction that we could go in. So that was his way of just like really training me up and like, you know, bolstering my skills and stuff. So that was my next gig. It was pure WordPress and I, I hated the technology. I hated WordPress. I didn't want to keep doing it anymore. So what did, you know, what was the natural progression? What was the next right thing to do? Well, it was to go to another boot camp because I wanted to be in more JavaScript. So that's what I ended up doing. So I ended up doing two boot camps. One of them was like part-time after hours here in Salt Lake. And then the other one was Hack Reactor out in um, Austin, Texas. So it was called MakerSquare at the time, but they were they were already merged with Hack Reactor's curriculum. Mm-hmm. How did you find those boot camps? Because I, I figure the first one is easy. Um, it's for for newbies, so it's it's taking you from the very uh, very beginning and, and taking you somewhere. But since you already have some experience, you're you're not starting in the beginning. And how how did you evaluate where you're at and which boot camp would be right for you? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I still considered myself super junior, uh, especially when it came to JavaScript and. and And to be honest, I failed the Hack Reactor entrance exam twice before I was actually accepted. So I took their their entrance exam three times. You'd think I would have gotten it right, at least, you know, somewhere along the way. Hack Reactor touted themselves as like, quote unquote, the Harvard of boot camps, right? That was like kind of the mo- the, the the mantra at the time. And their, and their thing was like taking somebody from 20% to 100%, right? It's like you had to actually be pretty proficient at JavaScript to, to actually make it in. And I remember the first like pre- pre-course work, the pre-course assignment uh, was to like recreate JSON stringify pretty much in this like recursive fashion. And I was like, there's no possible, like, I, I can't believe I actually finished that algorithm in time for, because you had to finish it before like your bootcamp started. And then some of the pre-course work was also like redoing a bunch of the, the Lodash library. So like one of those, one of those like early, like helper function libraries. And, uh, and so, yeah, you had to like make all these like map for each methods. And like, it, it was like all these algorithms, all this stuff is like, this is way over my head. There's no way I'm going to possibly do it. And that was the moment, like when I, when I was stressed every day, just trying to get the pre-course done for a couple of months, I knew for a fact that I was on the right trajectory. <laughs> so after nine months of actually doing development work at a, at a company on a WordPress site, kind of going back and focusing like scholastically, if you will, or like going in deep, in depth into data structures and algorithms, which is something I didn't get from the other bootcamp. I just knew that it was it was going to solidify my foundation. And so, A, that's why I chose Hack Reactor because I wanted the relevant experience, but I wanted to get some some in deep, you know, in-depth theory on, you know, the the stuff that's going to get you, in, you know, through the interview, right? The whiteboarding mm-hmm. session stuff. And so I, I just knew because of how much I was struggling that that it was the right decision. 
So I don't, I don't know how to really describe that other than maybe I just like pain. <laughs> but you said it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But no, interesting, interesting. Uh, how were how the two boot camps? Were, were they similarly structured with the same kind of course versus praxis versus uh, collaboration, etc.? Or, or were they different? Yeah, they were they were very different. Um, so the, the first one that I did, sometimes we didn't even have internet. <laughs> Ooh, it was okay. a very new it was it was kind of like um it was almost like a money grab kind of a situation but they they did have good intentions like i said my friend uh was the one who started it and he did a really really good job and they they ended up selling off uh later on down the road but but the structure was very very different the first one it was more traditional in the american educational sense where you had like a lecturer leading you through the the content for the for the basically the majority of your time right because it was after hours they couldn't like They could only do like three, three to four hours after. Um, and so a lot of us had to like stay late, stay longer uh, in the building uh, just to like catch back up and, and prepare for the next day. Right. Whereas the next one was full time and they, you know, they were structured in a way that it's like, here's like one hour, maybe 30 minutes of, of, of lecture time. And the rest, you're just down in the trenches, pair programming, everything you did at Hack Reactor was pair programming for all of your assignments, all of your, they call them little sprints. And there were two days to focus on this thing. And then you move on to the next thing. And that's just the first six or seven weeks. And then the, the latter part of the program is all building projects. Uh, so you have like three or four major opportunities to, to build a you know project from scratch um and then they switch you up you have to inherit somebody another team's code and add features into it so it was like it was a when i saw that practical part of the program that's when i knew it was the right idea uh that, that it was the right program for me because the only way and this is what i learned i actually learned experiential education in college it was a, it was a focus of our major so I, I knew that learning by doing was like the best way for me to like uh, actually learn the thing that was important, if that makes sense, or <laughs> or to like to fail at the right thing. I think that's the the biggest takeaway, um, you know. And if I was like sum up, you know, my my whole experience, my whole career, it's like choose choose the right thing to fail at and fail at it enough to where you like actually can start to understand it. Um, and so that's that's kind of. Um, you know, retrospectively, that's just what I, what I, what I focused on always uh, in my, in my learning journey. And to be honest, that's just never stopped, right? The way that you learn and approach things, especially as you're coming into a, a brand new field, a brand new um, foreign industry, you, you have to, you have to just keep a mindset of like, I'm a learner forever. Like there's, there's an infinite amount of knowledge about nearly infinite amount of topics in this field. And so you, you, you can't zoom out and be like, oh, I don't know anything. because then you're going to get imposter syndrome or you're going to feel like you're not enough. Or it's like you get FOMO because you're not, you know, on the latest and greatest react technology or whatever it is. Right. Uh, it's just it, it, this idea that you can, you can get excited about something spend enough time failing at it until you're good enough at it to like incorporate it into your day job. That's, that's just like, it, it, it's, it's how I learn and it's how I do things. And it's, it's, it's what keeps me, you know, continuously perpetually going in, in, in the field. That is awesome. You, you said, um, fail at the right things. How do you find the right things? That's a really good question. I don't know. Um, so, you know, so, somebody like me, who's, who's kind of like, who, who has extreme ADHD, <laughs> Um, that's a very difficult concept to like wrap your brain around. Um, it, and it depends every, every, every instance is circumstantial, right? You, uh, you're given opportunity at work, uh, to fail enough, right? Uh, hopefully you keep your day job. Um, but you're given enough opportunity just implementing a feature and it's like, I need to explore this particular 
package or this particular thing. Um, oh, and it's actually introducing a concept that I'd never thought of. So an example of this at my work, uh, you know, a- after all the boot camps, <laughs> um, you know, when I was actually a full-time dev was just working with like tables, right? So like UI and tabular data. And early on, there was like a React data table package that the React team put out. They were using internally at Facebook to kind of lay out, you know, columns and rows and things like that, tabular information. And I needed to to put this together. And it's, it's a common UI thing. I think every front-end developer in their life will work with tables at one point or another. And if you haven't, like you, it's, it's like whatever, but you had, I had to like explore this package and I found out that I had NPM installed something that the, the react team had deprecated right um, into my, into my actual, cause we were, we were really, really fast prototyping at this company that I was, I was at. Um, and, and, and they didn't have any guidance. It's like their docs just ended. It was like, it's like ended mid sentence almost. And so it was, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, could I recreate this from scratch? But then I saw that somebody had forked it and I, and I looked at that fork and, and I was like, oh, cool. I, let's try this one. So I started working with that fork and then I was like, oh, this, this is actually really nice because they've continued the API and things work well. But I was, but I started to think, I was like, how, how do you contribute to this? Because like, this was a react thing, but then another person and forked it and cloned it, right? So so my passion right then and there became immediately like open source packages. And so, and it's like, that, there's a whole new world, right? So again, a circumstance brought me to something that I needed to learn. And I started creating examples of how to style these tables using, at the time it was Aphrodite. This is before like uh, styled components, but it's like React and JavaScript or, or CSS, sorry, CSS in JS was like a big topic at the time. And there was like a handful of packages. I think Kent Dodds was working on something or um, there's a handful of packages out there that were gaining uh, momentum. One of them was called Aphrodite. And I, and I learned how to like style all these extra components using CSS and JS. And it was, again, uh, something that I immediately like became passionate about and excited about. And so I kind of started failing at that thing, right? And I started, uh, you know, to a point where like I could incorporate it into the site, into the, the app, and also provide some open source examples online. So uh, for other people to use and other people to comment on, and we could, you know, riff back and forth, things like that will come up where it's like, I need to learn this thing because I have to develop this feature for my company. Right. But what do you do when you're not like in, in that moment? Right. That's probably, that's probably more relevant to the audience. Um, and, and the answer is like, spend time kind of understanding the, the, the big picture, the full stack of what it means to have a single page application, a server side application and sort of write the server, write the endpoints, check out the pattern. And then look, so, so if, if you're, so for example, if your thing is node and express, and that's what you're comfortable working in, uh, especially if you, you know, you're new to develop it, development, you can build out a very robust rest API, right? And it's like, and so rest APIs could be your new thing. So it's like, you could build a really cool, like a bunch of CRUD endpoints, do all this stuff. And then you could go and swap the language and just be like, okay, I'm going to go do that in Elixir or Ruby or whatever, and then fail enough at that thing until you actually get the job done. So that's advice that I give to a lot of our learners uh, when they when they exit Lambda School. It's like, okay, you know, double down on some of the stuff that you don't feel as confident in for the first couple of weeks, but then try to recreate a lot of the stuff that you've built along the way. Um, or, you know, if, if it's like a specific feature. So 
again, for me, it was the tabular data stuff that like kept me involved at my, you know, in that thing at the, at the company uh, that I was working for, but it could, it could virtually be anything that you're, you're, you're eager to, to learn. And so there's no formula for discovering what that thing is. Again, I think circumstance will provide you opportunity if you're just putting it out there in the universe that you're looking for opportunities to learn. Um, a former guest, uh, I think it was Sean Wong in uh, episode 152, um, suggested that, that your your day job is usually driving you to go to go broad, to go uh, to become more more of a generalist because you have to you have to look over the uh, over the edge and, and do something there. You have to make things work. So you're basically going going broader and broader. And his suggestion was on your free time you should go deep. Find something and just drill down to the very very core because then you create some some skills that are really really uh, tradable something you can really sell yeah. when you really know how that goes and so that that was his uh his take on this what do you think about that well leave it to sean to be super wise so <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, I love sean we're we're, we're pretty close so Oh, you, you are okay. Yeah, well, we've, <laughs> <didn't know> that. <laughs> we've met at like the in in like the the JavaScript tech conference scene. So so yeah, we we've become uh, friends over the years. So so yeah, um, no, that's that's actually really good advice. Very insightful. And again, leave it to Sean to come up with something that's like perfectly um, perfectly slated for uh, for the industry. Yeah, and and the thing is as well is like you just can't you got to let yourself off the hook a little bit. Remember, you signed up uh, to be a life learner uh, to, and that I think that's a, a phrase that he uses often. Uh, you've signed up to be to be somebody whose whose literal job it is to break things and to continuously learn. Um, so yeah, wherever there is the opportunity, find that opportunity and seize it, uh, no doubt. And and just continue to build things and break things. Going going into depth, there there is something I would be cautious of, and that is uh, you know rabbit holes. Right, you can go down any any given rabbit hole, come back out the other side uh, for better or worse. And so like like for you know example of this is is blockchain. It's like we you know like couple years ago block it's like if you're not studying blockchain right now as a developer if you're not developing on the blockchain then you are nothing right it's like a huge thing and it's like who's using blockchain in production outside of like any like the, there's very few instances i don't think we've come up with really really good implementations of of anything besides like the crypto world and, and I, I could totally be wrong i, I guarantee somebody is in the audience just listening they're like this guy is totally wrong and i'm gonna turn this podcast off now but but like <laughs> the things like that come up in the industry so you may not need to rabbit hole down into blockchain to become a really good front end developer or to become a data scientist, right? You know, you don't need to, to focus on the wrong thing. So I love Sean's advice for sure. And depth in the right thing, I think is important for sure. Um, it just, it just depends on like where, where you see yourself. Like if you want to be the world's greatest blockchain developer, absolutely go for it. Right. Um, you, aimlessly um, learning something just for the sake of learning it. Uh, you know, I think there can be benefit there, uh, but if it's applicable to, uh, to, and, and, and it continues to add more ammo and, and armor into your repertoire, if you will, um, kind of solidifying you and making you bulletproof uh, on your job search journey uh, or in your career path, right? Then, then yeah, go for it. Um, and I'm never going to tell, you know, stop somebody from following any passion, no matter what, right? But also remember, like, you know, coding is awesome, but you don't have to be passionate. Uh, you don't have to love to code to be a functioning member of this industry. Um, another one of my, my friends, uh, uh, 
um, Chantastic, uh, Michael Chan, uh, Chantastic on Twitter. Uh, there was a tweet storm that he was just involved in talking about that as like, uh, and, and the worst dev, Kurt Kempel. They were just talking back and forth about this, basically this, this very thing. It's like coding is what I do for work. I'm passionate about everything else but coding, right? And so, a lot of times in industry, we get kind of bogged down, especially as learners, when we see these influencers, these these tech voices in industry that are so passionate and dug in and driven. Like everyone always asks, like, how does Kent Dodds do everything that he does? Well, it's, you know, he, he balances things to a healthy degree, but he's also like so passionate about the industry. And he's always like four or five steps ahead of all of us, right? But if you are trying to compare yourself to what Kent Dodds has done with his career and what you could potentially do with your career, and you're not in love with development, software development and code in general, it's going to get very overwhelming for you uh, early on to try and uh, set yourself up that way. So maybe you go and you, you're forced to learn these things to ship in this broadening way, like Sean says, but after work, if going into depth and you know learning about uh, the stock market is your interest, do that, right? Um, you'll find that regardless of what you do, your, you know, regardless of what your passion is, there will be crossover uh, from the work, but you don't have to be super passionate and, and in love with, with your work in order to be successful, right? Um, you can still be successful and have a very rewarding career doing what you do as a dev uh, with, without like spending hours after work, banging your head against the wall, learning why server-side rendering was a good idea. I, I don't know. So aim into that. <laughs> Let's go back to your story a little bit. You basically came into the industry twice, once after your first bootcamp and then went to your second bootcamp and started again. How did it feel the second time compared to the first one? Oh, the second time I had so much confidence. I had four job offers the week that I finished my second bootcamp, um, had interviewed like 17 times or whatever. It was like, so I, I just knew that it was going to happen. So the confidence, uh, the, the confidence behind the resume to have, uh, I had about a year of experience and two boot camps under my belt, right? So at that point, I was like, I can do anything. And I actually got hired as like a, an, a, a team lead um, at a company at that Ooh. point. So it was like, I had, I had been a part of one team, and then I was a WordPress site developer. And then I go learn all these data structures and algorithms, and I become a team lead. So it was, it was of course, that's the natural trajectory for all of us. I have a, a very bustling, bubbly, extroverted personality. Um, I recharge by talking to people. And so not a lot of people are like me. I mean, there are a lot of people, but not a lot of people in our field are necessarily like that. Um, and so it's easy. I, it, I shouldn't say it's easy. I have an over-perceived uh, sense of confidence in myself, let's put it that way, to a point where, you know, borderline, I, I feel like I can go into an interview and ace it and talk my way through it. You know, at, at the time, it's not like I'm looking at myself as like, well, I have 15 failures behind my my career path. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm probably the 16th is where I'm going to No, it, it was like, it was just like, I, you know, I am taking another step forward. Um, this is, this is legit what I'm, what I'm going to do now. I'm going to actually go and be a software developer, a bona fide software developer. So it was, it was much easier having the experience, the resume and the, the two boot camps under my belt for the, for the second jump back into the industry, if you will. I, I believe, I believe you're on the way. What did you take from your first career into the second one? Oh, the, the culture of why 
this 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 first manager that I had at Quizzer, he did a really really good job because like I remember one day we went out to to lunch and then we met one of my uh, like the architects like really good buddies from high school and he's like going around he's like what what do you do for the company that you work for what do you do he's just interviewing us a little bit just like asking us questions and I I looked at him and I paused because everyone's like I'm a software engineer I'm a software architect and then I looked at him and then I looked at my my software architect friend. And he looked back at his friend. He's like, he's a software engineer. And I was like, oh, oh thanks for answering for me, Cameron. Right. And so I, I looked at that and I was like, okay, he, he believes that I'm a software engineer, even though like I, I keep breaking everything and I don't know what I'm doing virtually. I don't know what this code does at all ever. So that confidence that he had in me, in my trajectory and my path was awesome. But his, so that's one anecdote there. The other is that his whole entire mantra of being a senior kind of mentoring people in the field is just asking the question, why? Um, and sometimes I'd have a pull request and I'd open this pull request and he would go to a line of code and he would literally type uh, on his pull request review, lowercase y with a question mark. And that was his comment he would leave me. And, and the first time that happened, my soul was just sucked into oblivion. I was like, I am, I'm done for. Cameron hates me. He's like, he's like, he's, he has it out for me. You know, I kind of, I, I, I just would have these like little internal spirals. Right. Um, but what I, what I took away from that, um, and what I missed at my next job was that culture of why, because what his why's did to me, what is, what his asking why did to me was, push me to talk confidently about my work and understand and understand my work thoroughly. He wasn't doing it to pick a fight. He wasn't doing it to put me down or to make me feel less than. It, it was an approach that was probably less than ordeal for my mental anxieties, right? But it was an approach that really got me to think is like, oh, if Cameron's going to ask why about this funky algorithm, about this bug fix, then I should probably be, you know, kind of on the on, on the ball with it. I should probably make sure that I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that was a big deal. So of building a culture of why uh and just understanding that like uh event like again those those first few moments you're like and this happens still to all of us it's like anytime a pr is rejected or like something happens or breaks or whatever you just get crushed right it's 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 hard it's like okay i have to double down and fix this thing uh because i thought i had a fix but i didn't think about this edge case or whatever and you get bogged down and you imposter syndrome kicks in full, in full effect for all of us because we so closely tie our self-worth to the work that we produce that is extremely valuable to these companies, which is why they're paying us money to do this. This uh, I mean, there's software engineers who put people on the moon, right? And then there's software engineers who make buttons work on the internet. Um, I'm definitely the latter, right? So, But our self-worth being tied to our work is a very dangerous trap to get into. And so it allowed me to divorce my, my self-worth from the work that I was producing. So, so yeah, that, that carried with me into my next gig, into the boot camp, back, you know, back into the industry when I, when I came out the other side. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a trick? You, you can pick any line in a, in a pull request, ask why, and have an interesting discussion. I, I mean, maybe <laughs> I, I, I'd love to see, I'd love to try that experiment out with some of my learners, even though like it's a more safe environment here than with, with what we're doing at Lambda School. So yeah, I, I think, um, I think it just, uh, it just depends. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be a really good trick. You should try it. If you're, I will. And if you try it, uh, let me know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but do it with, uh, do it with, add the, the word though after like T-H-O, why though? And then, and then see what happens. Cause that's a little bit more culturally fitting for the way that, uh, this generation, this gamer generation speaks today. Why though? So I don't, that'd be fun. 
I will. I will. Um, did, did you take something from your first career as a, as an exercise exercise science and exercise science? Matter? Yes. Yeah. Did, did, did you take something from this career? into your software development career? So yeah, I didn't know it early on. I'm an experiential learning manager at Lambda School. I'm I'm on the experiential learning team. The what Lambda School. Mean? Yeah, so that's it's a really good it's a really good idea. So experiential learning, doesn't everyone know what that term means? No. Um <laughs> Experiential learning is the the process of learning by doing, and it's very it's 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 almost like mm. the agile framework built into pedagogy. So John Dewey uh, is sort of the author of this framework. He at least coined the philosophy or like put it on paper. But Montessori had been doing it for for. Uh, years and years and years. Um, and it's the idea that you are going to uh, design modules for learners that allow them to actually experience the thing that they're learning. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. how they learn it. The key core concept, however, that a lot of people skip on is like, oh, you learn by doing it's it's the retrospective meeting, right? It's the it's the it's the reflection afterwards. And that's what my uh, instructors in college actually emphasize the most throughout those learning modules. So um, a lot of what we did in exercise science, even though, yeah, my final, my, my senior final was a 60 mile long backpacking trip in the Utah desert uh, to sort of fulfill my outdoor leadership uh, credits. The, a lot of what we did was based around that framework of learning by doing. So you can, and, and there's so many applications to it. Like you imagine like a summer boot camp, you're designing a module where you're going to do icebreaker activities and the floor is lava and you have like pads that you have to walk across. That is very much experiential learning. Um, but when you sit down and like reflect about that experience, what you you went through what went well, what didn't. I knew that I was doing that in college as a, a student myself before I came and started helping build Lambda School, right? And so it just was natural to me until all of a sudden we built uh, the X program here at Lambda School, which is X for experiential learning. And I was like, I want to go and do that. So I figured out how to like inundate myself into this team. And, and then I was like, oh yeah, this, I know this stuff. This is actually what I studied in college. So I, I started drawing back and taking from that. So I, even though I was doing this all along in my journey, we'll get to like my, my best piece of advice for, for anyone jumping in in a minute. But it, it took me a while to actually understand that it was already operating within a certain framework. And then I was able to actually officially go and apply that when I started working in the Lambda X team. So yeah, absolutely. There's tons of crossover that. And I mentioned outdoor leadership, people skills, the ability to like, to look at a team and figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are in that team. That was part of what we did out in the field uh, on all of our field courses, you know, sea kayaking. And you know, like I said, backpacking was a big one, rock climbing, mountain biking, all these things incorporated a leadership component to it. And that crosses over exponentially. In fact, our COO uh, did the same kind of program at, at Lambda School, Molly Graham. She was a National Outdoor Leadership School instructor or, or did some, some courses there. And that's all experiential learning. Knowles is a huge program worldwide. The, the crossover for leadership, there's corporate teams who force their high level executives to go to like a Knowles week long uh, experience or whatever. So, so yeah, she and I relate, uh, you know, even though we, we don't communicate a ton. Uh, we, we have sort of similar trajectory to, to kind of coming into tech and uh, she did it through the management side. So yes, there's, there's a myriad of things that just come naturally crossover into tech 
from outdoor recreation management, believe it or not. Oh, I, I do believe you. <laughs> it's always fascinating when you look back and see, oh, we trace where your skills came from and, and everything makes sense. Well, I did, I did this and I did that. And then these two combine make this. And, and with this skill that I got on the side and then my next job makes sense. And you can really trace back and, and understand how everything came to be. This is, this is always fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, even as a kid, that's, that's just, that was my, my life. It's like the reason I chose to study backpacking in college is because it's what I was doing with my buds in high school. Right. Um, I was, I was the kid who would just be gone all day in the summer and I would come home just, just tattered and bruised and dirty and cut up. And my siblings, I had six <laughs> siblings and, you know, parents who were like, not very like in tune with what's going on in their home. And they'd just be like, Oh, Ryan's back. You know, um, I was off in the foothills. I was off building forts. I was off discovering, right. I had, I, I grew up in a place that had tons of open space that I just was my playground, you know? And so that's, uh, that's just always who I've been. I've, I've all, and then, you know, growing up a little more, it's like, we, we didn't really have the, the internet was like a huge information gateway for us millennial folk, right? We had to kind of figure things out on our own. It wasn't just a quick Google search away at the time. So like going down to like the magazine or the bookstore and just learning pop culture, learning the world and like getting involved in, you know, social media, quote unquote, before there even was such a thing, you know, MTV, you know, there's always, it's like, I was always looking for voids to fill, right? I always had like a big empty tank in my brain, it seemed like, and I just was always hungry to like uh, continuously learn things and like be out outdoors and and go and explore this sounds like a nice childhood i must say it was fun yeah we had a good time but it was chaotic like like i said six siblings have five sisters and one brother Ooh. my brother and i kind of banded together he's four years older than i and we um yeah we had a we had a blast we're all pretty dang close but there's still a lot of drama in our lives that, that come from all the competition that we had so i believe you right away um you mentioned uh bringing a piece of advice in your backpack i'm sure it's the time to, to hear it i have been able to grow in this field and this isn't going to be right for everybody but i've been able to grow in this field by teaching um i found really really quickly that i'm, I'm a teacher i love just just by by trait my act, my grandfather was actually a, a a school teacher my dad was always the coach the he was the baseball the football coach um so it's just in my blood i think it's in my dna to be a teacher so if you want to um if you feel like you have that in you or you feel like you want to aspire to do that i think it's probably one of the fastest ways to one break into the industry uh but two uh bulletproof yourself or future proof yourself as uh you know and put you put your stamp on this industry you know as a developer or data scientist um or or designer whatever you want to be so my advice is to learn something by doing it uh always experientially Never, uh, never just passively learn, always actively learn. Um, and then the way that you really learn it, uh, and, and truly understand it is to teach it to somebody else. Um, there are hundreds of thousands, thousands, whatever worldwide people who are just like you, uh, trying to break in as well, uh, to, to this industry. So reach out. Uh, and give back and give your time. I did that really early on. I got involved with Free Code Camp and I would kind of go to the learning uh, meetups here in Salt Lake uh, on the weekends. I'd spend my Saturdays whiteboarding with uh, with learners. And I wasn't even a developer at that time. I was just doing it to kind of take control and like get on the whiteboard myself, really. But, but what it does is it forces you to understand the concept. So a way that you could actually apply this if, if you, uh, if you want to is take advantage of that local meetup scene, find a topic that you're interested in 
contact the owner and say, Hey, and, and, you know, if you're looking for a lightning talk or looking for a speaker or workshop or whatever at the next meetup or in four months meetup or whatever, give yourself a, a window to learn something well enough to teach it to somebody else. And that'll force you to do it socially, right? You don't have to do that, but that works out really well for me. An example of this was the context API when that came out to like, to be able to, for us to use as, as plebs, right? I, I was like, okay, I hate Redux. So I'm going to go learn context. And I contacted the local meetup director and it ended up that a 10 minute talk on context became like a 45 minute workshop, like right then and there they recorded it. And that's something I can put on my resume is like, Oh, this guy knows something, you know, even though I don't know anything, I know something. Um, so learn, learn by teaching. Uh, I think that's, I think that's one of the more, uh, and and, and you have to give back to do that. So you're just going to be in this cycle of like, you know, give back. I I just completed four years uh, of my Lambda school journey. So I, I started four years ago last week and I tweeted about that. And one of the biggest gifts from that tweet was just reconnecting with former students that I taught that I didn't know still followed me on Twitter. Right. Um, and just seeing their, their anecdotes and their tropes. And that made me feel really, really good uh, to see where all these learners were at in their, in their career. Um, and it, it reinvigorated me to continue doing what I'm doing for as long as I possibly can. So that's my advice. Uh, if you want to learn something, learn it well enough that you can teach it uh, and then give back and support your local community uh, and, and kind of figure out, you know, where to take your next, uh, your next learning experience. I fully agree. Thank you for that. <laughs> of course. Um, so Ryan, where would be the, the best place to find you online and, and start a discussion? Yeah, <laughs> I'm always on Twitter. If you like, if you like uh, f- uh, football, uh, what we call soccer here in the United States, um, let's talk, uh, reach out to me. I'm Ryan Lee Hamblin on Twitter. It's just my full name. Not trying to be original there. Um, yeah, that's probably the best place to, to get in contact. Uh, last time I, uh, you know, was on a, a similar podcast with Kyle Shevlin, I had a bunch of people reach out. Um, we've become contacts. You know, I, I started doing some coding exercises with some of them. I don't have a ton of time, but I do have time. So, like, I'm willing to give back to you uh, if you reach out, or if you just want to like like or bash one of my tweets. Um, that's fine too. I, I I love you no matter what. So um, <laughs> that's the easiest place to get a hold of me. Don't look at my GitHub. It's it's trash. So uh, if if anyone tells you you need a really really good GitHub to continue to maintain yourself and career in your career like all these green squares that's a lie i i just build curriculum now i barely even write code so anyway yeah that's that's uh that's where you can find me right it's been awesome thank you thank you very much likewise Tim. it was a pleasure and it's been another episode of depot's journey and we see each other next week bye-bye i love when stories don't have a straight line toward development and especially when rational thoughts were the trigger instead of passion Here's how Ryan put it. I wanted to find something that I enjoyed, maybe not my first passion, but something that pays well enough that I can afford to do the things I'm truly passionate about. I have said this on the show before. I am amazed by those journeys. Really, truly amazed. How did you like Ryan's story? Let me know. I'm always delighted by your comments and your thoughts. You can reach me on Twitter, I'm at Timothep, T-I-M-O-T-H-E-P, or use the comments section on our website at devjourney.info. I have been pondering those two sentences Ryan said on the show. As a developer, you signed up to be a lifelong learner. And choose the right things to fail at, and fail at it enough to actually start to understand them. 
I am definitely a lifelong learner, that's for sure. But do I fail enough? Am I setting the bar high enough? What would be setting the bar even higher for this Dev Journey podcast? Do you have an idea? Let me know. Talk to you soon.